0: Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show.
1: Classic Hits.
0: Many people would have watched the scenes last night on RT News and other news outlets and certainly all over social media at Tullamore Court yesterday afternoon when Joseph Puska uh, was charged with the murder of Ashling Murphy. To give me a little bit more information on this, Frank Grany court reporter, and he joins us on the line. Frank, good afternoon to you.
1: Good afternoon
0: to you, Niall. Um, Frank, uh, you know, there were scenes that I've never really seen before outside an Irish courtroom. I mean, we've all seen the videos going out online. It was almost, you know, like I suppose there was the mob mentality. And I can understand the anger of people outside the court when Joseph Puska uh, was brought to the courtroom. Um, where were the relatives of Aisling Murphy? I'm assuming they were in the court at the time.
1: I wasn't there in person myself, Niall, so I'm just looking at the photographs and, and, and the videos online and on various uh, news outlets, and I'm sure you and uh, your listeners have have all seen today. And I suppose, look, the really important thing is that we focus on the process now. Mm-hmm. We focus on the fact that Joseph Puska, as you said, has been charged and that this so-called sub-Judice rule um, should now be observed and respected. And what that means is that this matter is now effectively before the courts. You know, these criminal proceedings would have become live um, long before Joseph Puska was brought to court. Technically, the case became sub-judice as soon as he was arrested and charged in in Tullamore Garda station. And the whole landscape of what we can and can't say, what can and can't be reported on. And um, all of that uh, certainly changes the moment that a person is arrested and charged. And and, okay. and obviously the, the same so, would apply here.
0: So for our listeners, many of whom would be on social media, at the moment, what we can report on and what you can report on as a court reporter is Joseph Puska, Slovakian, Slovakian National, with an address in County Offaly, was brought before the court late last night, the district court, and charged with the Murphy or they the murder of Ashling Murphy. That's as far as it goes. And... Uh, as the case is ongoing of course the reports you know can, we can report on and you will be reporting on mm-hmm. as a co- as a court reporter but literally the facts of the case so i want you to explain because most i understand what you subdue to say is uh, but our listeners probably don't, and how this can affect a case, and we've seen, by the way, numerous people brought before the courts in the past in relation to the Anna Kriegel case. For example, there were people brought to court who had posted stuff on social media. So maybe you could outline the damage that can be done to such a high-profile murder case that we all want to see in, you know, an end result, and we all want to see the the right result. Um, so maybe you could po- point out to people, I suppose, the dangers of posting names, of posting their own opinions or their, you know, people's versions of the story online.
1: Well, the consequences can be catastrophic, and I'll explain that in a moment. But firstly, I mean, I've been amazed by the amount of people who expressed an interest in actually understanding what this rule means, because it is really important. Um, it's Latin for under a judge. Sub judice essentially means under a judge, before a judge. And it's essentially the first commandment for my colleagues and I on court and press benches across the country. Basically means that nothing can be said, written or arguably nowadays, more importantly, posted online that might prejudice, prejudice the judicial process. You know, public justice trumps everything from here on in. And when a person is charged with a crime, they are entitled to due process. They're entitled to a fair trial if one is required. That is the lifeblood and the beating heart of our judicial system here in Ireland. In circumstances where a person pleads not guilty to an offence, and again, I'm speaking in general terms here, and they're entitled to a presumption of innocence and it's for a jury or a judge if it's a non-jury trial to decide on the guilt um, of a person or innocence as the case may be. Uh, Nobody else can make that call. And it's vital that a jury, and I suppose this is why the rule is so important, it's vital that a jury makes that decision based solely and exclusively on the evidence that they hear in a courtroom. Nothing else should penetrate their deliberations. That's why jurors are never given any information about an accused person's previous criminal history if they have one, except for in extremely limited circumstances. And even then, a prosecuting barrister would have to apply to the court for permission to introduce previous convictions into evidence. When it comes to my job, I have to put my opinions to one side when I'm covering criminal trials. I am restricted by law in what I can and can't say. Anything said in the absence uh, of a jury, for example, can't be repeated on air or in print uh, until after the event. The consequences I described earlier can be catastrophic in the sense that if a jury is seen to be prejudiced from outside of the courtroom in any way, whether that be through media coverage, you know, a direct approach by a member of the public, or potentially a prejudicial post online, um, a trial can collapse. You know, if a witness is interfered with it in the same way or if it's felt that somebody is trying to influence a witness before they give their evidence, a trial can collapse. Um, you know, it's a criminal offence too. A person who posts something online that is considered to be prejudicial or attempting to interfere with the process can be held in contempt of court. And that is a very serious offence. You know, we've seen hefty fines being handed out in the courts. Or in indeed you can go to jail. You can. There's a maximum penalty of two years imprisonment for contempt of court. So... It's a very serious matter, and I think it's great that we're having this conversation today, Niall, because you see a lot of the stuff um, online, even overnight. You know, people will be combing through all of that stuff, and it's really important that, look, if a criminal case goes to a trial, we're in early days here, we don't know um, what path this particular proceeding is going to take, okay? So let's not try and jeopardize that. But in general terms, the most important thing is that a person is entitled to a fair trial there is a presumption of innocence where a person pleads not guilty to an offence there is a presumption of innocence and as i say the only people that can change that status are the 12 men and women of a jury and
0: i see what happens is and again not just about this case and we've seen it so many times in the past and social media of course has changed the whole landscape when it comes to sub judice, uh, because mm-hmm. obviously everybody has an opinion now and everybody turns into miss marple And unfortunately, that in itself can prejudice the case. Again, I'll mention, I'll go back to the Anna Kriegel case. We've seen that in the Anna Kriegel case where the boys, uh, boy A and boy B, were being identified on social media. Now, the individuals responsible for that, those that were tracked down, uh, were brought to court, were brought before a judge. Uh, I'm not too sure. that I think some of those cases were put forward or adjourned. I'm not too sure exactly what the outcome of of a lot of those cases were. But there were many people brought before the judge and, again, charged with contempt of court. But mm-hmm. that, that's the minor part of it as far as I'm concerned. I think in many high-profile cases, be they murder, be they rape or whatever it is, I think it's important for the families who want justice for the perpetrators of those crimes and for the victims of those crimes that we get justice. And if in any way we jeopardize that because of you know your passion to go online and out somebody or give their name or name and shame, as people say, the only thing you're doing is damaging the case.
1: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, the justice system is for our society as a whole. And, you know, while a criminal trial is in train, clearly the most important people would be, you know, the man or woman that finds themselves in the dock. You know, those gathered together on, you know, in the public gallery, the family members um, and obviously the jurors who will ultimately decide a person's guilt or otherwise. You mentioned social media, and I suppose that's one of the main reasons we're having this conversation today, because it has been described in court over the years as the Wild West, in that people seem to think that they can say what they like, when they like. Um, and, you know, as a journalist, no more than yourself, while I'm all for freedom of speech, you know, the sub-Judice rule simply has to be obeyed when a case is live. It's such a useful tool for keeping people right up to date with court proceedings, and I have live tweeted through various trials over the years. But in the wrong hands, it can be dangerous. It can be highly disruptive, if not terminal, to the trial process. So much so, in fact, that the former Chief Justice, um, now retired, Mr. Justice Frank Clark, actually banned people in the public gallery from live tweeting during trial. So just bona fide members of the press were allowed to do so. You know, by even posting your feelings about an accused person, and again, I'm talking in general terms here, but by even doing that much, you could be seen as trying to influence a judge or jury in a criminal matter. And that's not necessarily to posting, you know, things online that might suggest that this man or woman is of bad character. By describing a person as good character could also be seen as trying to influence the job of the jury. You know, jurors used to be holed up in hotels not that long ago to avoid do they them still, being influenced.
0: Do they, do they still sequester juries or is that still a thing they do
1: nowadays? They, they don't. And I suppose the reason behind that was the reason they were being holed up in hotels was to avoid them being influenced by traditional media coverage. That doesn't happen anymore, really, because of the prevalence, I suppose, of smartphones and the easy access to online material. But there's still every jury that's sworn in before the central criminal court and elsewhere, each and every one of them are warned from the outset and repeatedly throughout the process. And certainly, again, it's a warning that's given to them before they begin their jury deliberations not to look up the case and not to speak about it with anyone aside from their fellow jurors. Again, the most important thing is that the sanctity of that jury room is never breached, that it's never contaminated, so that they can reach a verdict without any outside influence. People can find themselves, as we said, in an awful lot of trouble if they try to trespass on the work of the jury. And again, it can bring a trial down, which is not in the interest of anybody. It's not in the interest of the accused person. It's not in the interest of society as a whole. And it's certainly not in the interest of the victim. And I think it's really, really important to have this conversation and that people realise that this rule applies not when a jury is sworn in or the prosecuting barrister takes to his feet to address them for the first time. This rule takes effect from the moment a person is arrested and charged.
0: And I, and I think you're right about having this conversation because so many times I get very frustrated as a presenter because we're talking about a certain thing and you might be on talking to us about a certain case. And I get texts in, why don't you say this? Why don't you say that? And people don't seem to understand. And can we point out it, the media? Obviously, that rule is there for the media as well. It's there for everybody. It's not just for me. It's not just for Frank Grainy. It's for you. It's for Mary and John in your homes as well on social media, on Twitter and Facebook. It's for everybody.
1: Absolutely. And it's that classic debate, isn't it, as to what is in the public interest or, you know, what is the public interested in? You know, I do my job and some people might think that I'm just sitting there for hours and end, and then regaling and repeating what I've heard in court. And while that obviously is, um, you know, a certain part of the job, I am very restricted in what I can and can't say. You know, my reportage and it will be very short reports um, into news bulletins or maybe longer pieces on shows like your own. Um, But you have to be very careful to give a fair, accurate and balanced account of the evidence that you've heard in court. And you're also very restricted in what you can and can't say. Take, for example, the many legal arguments that are held in the absence of the jury. High-profile trials may go into legal argument for days on end, depending on what the legal issues um, that arise are. And obviously we're very restricted in what we can and can't say in relation to that. You spoke about the Anna Kriagel trial and the fact that the two boys that were eventually convicted of her murder... Um, were described as boy A and boy B. They were never ever, not once, described as boy A and boy B during the court proceedings. We sat there day in, day out, hearing both their names being mentioned ad nauseam numerous times, day in, day out. But we couldn't identify them, we couldn't say anything that might lead somebody to identify them. You know, So there are rules in place, and there are professionals that abide by them day in, day out, professionals like myself and my colleagues on those press benches. And it's really important, and I think like what Mr Justice Frank Clark did a number of years ago by banning people from live tweeting uh, from the public gallery um, was a very good indication of how the courts feel about the work that we do. You know, it's not any average though that can go in there and cover a trial. Yes, anybody can go in and listen to proceedings and tell their mates what happened, but you have to do so in a fair and balanced way. And again, you are restricted in what you can and can say while a trial is live. The sub judice rule does eventually get lifted, you know, if a person is convicted, it falls away to a certain degree, and then, you know, we can reveal things like legal arguments that might have taken place during the trial, previous convictions, if an accused person has a record, and our freedom to express an opinion is restored at that point, but we do usually wait until the person is sentenced. Because- uh, I was
0: always confused about that, He's even working in media. There was, a, you know, and I've spoken to newsrooms who would know a lot more about this than I would uh, in the past in relation to the sub judice rule. So when a person is convicted, it can be three or four weeks or maybe even a little bit longer before the judge decides to sentence. And for that period of time, does the sub judice rule still stand? Because maybe people could argue you could still influence the judge, maybe not the jury at that stage because he's already being convicted or the person's already being convicted. But you could still influence a judge.
1: And and that's like judges will argue that you know they're immune to influence, but the law doesn't really see it like that. So that's why, for example, you would only hear take for example during a murder trial if you know um, a victim's family wants to address the media outside court afterwards. That's only facilitated after a sentence has been handed down, um, and it's precisely that it's that as I say, judges will mm-hmm. claim they're immune to influence, but again, the law doesn't doesn't say it like that. So the sub judice rule is only really lifted um, after a sentence is is handed down because there is that risk of potentially influencing a judge, particularly in cases where a determinate a sentence is being handed down. It's a little bit different with murder because it's obviously a one-size-fits-all approach with just that mandatory life sentence. But take, for example, a manslaughter case where there is the potential to hand down a lesser sentence. Well, obviously, one could argue that a judge may be influenced by certain public opinion and, and media coverage. And again, it's important to point out that judges will say that, no, they're completely impartial to all of that. They will just look at the evidence before them.
0: Listen, it's been nice talking to you, Frank, and I think it's been a very important conversation and one that needs to be had because so many people, I've I've watched it last night, so many people posting different stuff all over social media in relation to the case. Uh, And again, please, everybody, be careful. Listen to what Frank said. I think it's extremely important because the last thing you'd want in any case, be it murder, rape, or whatever, any serious case, particularly, although subjects do say applies to all court cases, but particularly to more serious cases, the last thing we want to see is a retrial or a mistrial or a case collapse because of undue influence to the jury or judge. Uh, thank you very much, Frank, and I appreciate you coming on the air.
1: No bother. Thanks, Niall.
0: Uh, there you go, Frank Graney. What well, a great court reporter, by the way. We've had him on many times on the air. And um, as when you listen to Frank coming on the air, the professionalism is unbelievable. He can literally only tell you what is said in front of a jury. Nothing more than that, and he must quote perfectly. Even if he misquotes, he can be taken up on it. So I would ask everybody, everybody, You all watched the scenes last night. I know how angry everybody is. I understand completely how angry everybody is. But I would ask you please to stick to the facts of the story. And anything from now on, until a time that um, the court case is held, I would ask everybody um, to please restrict what they put on social media. Keep your opinions to you and your friend. Personally, if you want to have a chat about it, that's perfectly fine. You're entitled to do that but please don't post them on social media. Don't post your opinions on social media and don't give your view on it or post pictures of people or who you believe might have been involved or an opinion on what you think might have happened or the mate down the pub told me this or told me that. That's not, it's not good because you can end up in court before a judge for contempt of court. It's the only time, realistically, supposedly, that your freedom of expression is impinged and for good reason because the justice system has to be and it has to be solid, otherwise, we have no justice system. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio, the multi award winning Niall Boylan Show.
1: Classic